I'm going to just uh, give a, a little introduction of our speaker who will be coming up in a few minutes. Matt, many of you have known Matt from years ago. Matt was part of Creekside Church, then Cornerstone Community Church uh, years ago, part of the youth group part of a group that was saved in high school and was a huge part of that ministry and a leader for many there. So him and his wife are now serving in Southeast Asia. If you want to find out the exact location, uh, you can talk to him afterwards and, and, and hear about that. Well, it's harvest time in Iowa. Um, it, it's been a great joy to be back in the Midwest during autumn and this time where the fields are literally white for harvest, um, and as, as many of you have been going around this fall, I'm sure you've seen the harvest taking place as the combines go out and they're, they're bringing in the fields, they're harvesting. Uh, it, it's amazing to see how quickly a field can be harvested in Iowa. Uh, maybe in one or two days, you know, it's there and then it's gone. Um, and it makes me think about uh, when we were living in Nepal a few years ago, uh, the harvest process there is, is much different. Uh, they can't use combines. So, so if you see kind of a picture of the fields here. Yeah, so that you, you can't use a combine because the, the country is so uh, mountainous, right? So the, the fields are terraced, and, and there's just no way one of those machines would fit on the hill. And so the way you have to harvest in Nepal, uh, as the same in Jesus' day, was with many hands, many laborers. Uh, and so this time of year, if you go out to the rice fields in Nepal, it's, it's filled with people, uh, dozens of people out there harvesting the field. And in our passage this morning, what we're going to see is uh, Jesus calling us to look at the field, to, to realize that the field in the world is ripe for harvest, but there are few laborers. There are few laborers. And to bring in this harvest that God is doing in the world, uh, it's going to take more workers. And so Jesus is going to tell us this morning in, in Matthew chapter 9 to pray the Lord for more workers of the harvest. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 35 to 38 together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And as we consider this uh, passage, really there's just three things I, I want us to look at. I, I think it breaks down easily. And the first is the task of the harvest, uh, the motivation for the harvest, and then the field of the harvest. So we're going to see what the task is, what the motivation is, and then what is this field that Jesus is calling more workers to go and labor in. Uh, so let's dig right in, verse 35. Jesus is our example here. He, he shows us what the task of God's mission is in the world. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, this, this passage we're looking at, it's really a, a summary statement of what Jesus has been doing uh, in the last, you know, four to five chapters. Uh, if you go back to Matthew 4, you don't have to turn there, but, but if you did, there's a very similar verse that summarizes Jesus' Jesus's ministry. And what we see in this first verse here, this summary of his ministry, is that it consists of both word and deed, right? There's, there's proclamation of the gospel, and there's mercy ministry, caring for the sick and the needy and those who need help. And we see this statement that Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, right? He's, he's coming and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so I want us just to pause for a moment and consider uh, when we think of Scripture, what, it, what does it mean that it says the kingdom of God? Now, if we were to look at parallel passages and, and mark to this statement, uh, there is no kingdom of God. It's just Jesus is going and preaching the gospel, right? So here in Matthew, we have gospel of the kingdom, 
In Mark, it's gospel. Uh, We know this is good news. This is the declaration of what God has done, what God is doing in the world and bringing about his spiritual reign. So when we think about kingdom, uh, we go all the way back to Genesis, right? And we, we remember that God is the king and creator of the universe. He created us to live as his people under his rule and in his reign, to walk in his ways, to experience his blessing and goodness as we uh, walk under his rule. And yet we know the story, we're well familiar, familiar with the reality that we rebelled against God, that we rejected his rule and authority over us. And we said we want to go our own way. We don't want to be under the rule of God. I think we can figure this out better than him. And we rebelled and man fell into sin. And so from the beginning of Scripture, God's purpose, his plan has been to redeem people back to himself, has been to bring about his kingdom in the world where uh, a new humanity can be under his rule and reign and experience his blessings once again and live as true, uh, we were truly intended to live, truly human in the image of God. This is the, the kingdom and plan of God from the beginning of the world and he's been bringing about that redemption uh, from the time of the fall. And we know most fully that, that that redemption has come with the coming of King Jesus, right? We, we see here in this passage, he's, he's going and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's saying the kingdom is at hand. Uh, the kingdom is here. It's in your midst. Uh, this, this kingdom that you were intended to live in under the rule and reign of God is breaking into the world because the king is in your presence, And Jesus, as the true king, uh, he is in the presence of Israel here proclaiming this gospel message. And he gives us this pattern, right? He gives us this pattern as his people that when we go into the harvest field, when we go into the world, uh, we are to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come through the redemption of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has come to restore humanity under the rule and reign of God. Now we know that Jesus' kingdom uh, was not like other kingdoms, right? He, he didn't come with pomp and power uh, and a crown and set up his authority. Uh, the only crown he wore was, was the crown of thorns, right? He, where he was lifted up was, was on the tree, on the cross, where he shed his blood for us. You know, Christianity is the only religion uh, upon the main essential teaching is, is the humiliation of its God, the humiliation of our king and his crucifixion and his death. But of course, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He reigns right now over all the world. He is the king of kings the Lord of lords, and his kingdom has come. His kingdom is here in our midst, and he is bringing this kingdom to bear. So this is the first thing we see, that Jesus establishes his kingdom. Uh, He's restoring humanity back to himself. That's the the word ministry. But now notice there's also this this deed ministry. Uh, We see in, in verse 35 as well, that Jesus is healing every disease and every affliction. So, so the good news is, is not just that we can have our sins forgiven and go to heaven, but the good news is that God is re- redeeming all of fallen creation. The good news is that uh, Christ's salvation and redemption is meant to be touched and, and bring healing far as the curse is found. And so we see in the ministry of Jesus, he's, he's bringing healing. He's helping the hurt, the sick, uh, the broken. He's meeting their physical needs. Uh, a few chapters later in, in Matthew 11, you remember when John the Baptist is in prison and, and he goes and says, you know, is Jesus the Messiah or are we to look for another? And do you remember what, what Jesus tells him? Go tell John. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And good news is preached to the poor. This is the good news that Jesus came to bring. Healing far as the curse is found. Now we know that that Christ's kingdom is is already here. It's now. Uh, But we also know that there's a future reality to it, right? We know that uh, all brokenness, all injustice, all sickness is not restored yet. But Jesus in his ministry and his life, he shows that this is what his redemption is intended for. This is what he came to do to bring the kingdom of God. And so when we think about our own ministry as workers in the harvest field, uh, both of these realities need to be present, right? Whether we're doing ministry in our church or as individuals in our workplace or neighborhoods, it should be marked by both word and deed. Uh, John Stott says this, this reality we see here, the, these elements of word and deed are like two birds of a feather that always go together in the ministry and work of Jesus. God's heart breaks for both the spiritual lostness and the physical brokenness of humanity. And his desire is that we, as his instruments, would minister in both realms, both spheres. Yes, preaching the gospel so that people can have sins forgiven, their relationship restored with God, but also caring for them and their brokenness and their uh, neediness and their sicknesses. And so this is the the first thing we see, the task of workers is word and deed. Uh, And as workers, we must proclaim the gospel and do good works. Uh, The second thing we see in verse 36 then is the motivation. So if that's the task of, of workers laboring in the field, what is our motivation? And we see this in the life of Jesus. It says, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This imagery of sheep and shepherds is is used frequently in Scripture. It's it's something that appears, of course, in the Old Testament. We think of passages like Psalm 23. Uh, The Lord says, you know, he is the shepherd. Uh, I think of Ezekiel 34. There's... There's a long section that talks about shepherds and sheep. And we won't read all of that passage, but in chapter 34, verses 1 to 5, uh, God is really coming against the leaders of Israel who are supposed to be the shepherd of his people. And he's saying, you're supposed to care for the sheep. You're supposed to feed the sheep, provide and protect. And yet what you've done is you've neglected them. You've harassed them. Uh, You've lorded it over them. You've made it hard for them to flourish. And so God is bringing this judgment on the shepherds of Israel. And and he's warning them. But in the midst of this, he makes this amazing promise. It's in uh, Ezekiel 34, verse 15. God says, since these earthly shepherds of Israel have failed, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And I just lost the passage on the screen, so I'll turn here in my Bible. All right, thank you. I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so do you hear the heart of God here? As God sees his people harassed and lost and hurt and uh, not cared for by the leaders of Israel, he says, I myself will take this on. I myself will feed and care for my people. And then a few verses later, down in verses 23 and 24, the promise is heightened. It's, It's specified to how God will do this. And he says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. 
and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And so now we we put these pieces of the Old Testament and our passage here in Matthew together, and we think about the reality that God has long been promising to send a true shepherd, uh, one that will be descended from David and sit on his throne as the rightful king, uh, one who will be the true shepherd and feed his people. And here in the Gospels, we see Jesus coming as that Davidic shepherd, as that one that will come and gather together the broken, the hurting, uh, the lost sheep, yes, of Israel, but also of the whole world. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, In this verse, we see that Jesus has compassion on people because they're, they're helpless, right, and they're harassed. And so we have this picture of, of people in Jesus' day. Why are they helpless and harassed? Well, yes, the, the people of Israel were under the rule of the Romans at the time, uh, in captivity in their own land, no freedom. But not only that, the, the Pharisees, the rulers who were meant to be leading God's people to know him, to find his care, his protection, his comfort. Uh, Instead, they've traded the word of God for man-made laws, right? They've created all these religious exercises and rituals and missed the very heart of God for his people. They've said, if you do these things, if you perform and try hard, then God will be pleased with you. Instead of reminding them that God is gracious and compassionate, full of steadfast love, and he's made a covenant with his people to care for them, and he provides redemption for them. And so Jesus sees the people of Israel harassed. He sees the people of the world harassed. And this word compassion, it literally means like you're, you're bent over within your, the depths of your bowels. You're, you're moved. You're gripped. You, you, you can't think of anything else but these helpless and hurting people in front of you. And again, of course, we know this is both in their physical condition, but more importantly, in their spiritual state before God. As externally, they're trying to earn God's favor through washing of hands, through uh, rituals. And God is saying, no, I want your heart. I I want to bring you to know me and, and bind you up and care for you. And so we see the compassion of Jesus in this passage. And for us, as we think about his example and we consider how we are called to be workers in the harvest, uh, we also must proclaim the gospel and do good works with the compassionate heart of Christ. Uh, We need to be moved with compassion for people. And so I want to ask you, uh, are you? Does your heart break for the lost people in the world? When you consider uh, the masses of humanity that are far off from God, that don't have access to the gospel, uh, are you moved in your heart like Jesus was? uh, To move into action toward them, to be gripped that that's what compels you uh, to move throughout your day. Uh, I think about Jesus being in the crowds among the lost, and it reminds me of uh, a place uh, in our country where we live. It's it's a place where uh, there are temples and mosques on every corner. And I think about this one particular uh, Hindu temple where where, uh, you go up these stairs and uh, hundreds of stairs that, that go up into a cave and then deep inside the cave is, is a place where uh, hundreds of thousands of worshipers gather every year uh, to, to offer sacrifices. And so if you show the next picture there, it shows the crowds of people gathered. And, and as they come to offer their sacrifices and uh, trying to appease their gods, trying to ward off evil spirits, trying to find peace, and hope, and, and fertility, and a good harvest, and all these kinds of things. They're, they're trying to labor through their own efforts, not realizing 
that there's a God who made them and loves them and on the basis of grace wants to invite them into eternal life and relationship with him. And my heart is moved when I consider in our city the hundred or more people groups that pass through the the malls every day in downtown. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of people from places like Iran and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and, and these countries where they live in bondage and are without the hope of the gospel. They're under rulers. They're under shepherds by their own admission. Many of my friends that, that say they are harassing them. They're, they're making their life miserable. They're ruining their country and society by their uh, legalism and their rules. And they're so far from knowing the true God. That's the global reality of the lostness of humanity. But, but it's not just out there is it? Uh, People aren't just lost on the other side of the world. They're they're lost here. They're lost here in Urbandale and and the surrounding Des Moines area. And is your heart moved to compassion, to pray for them, to, to go across the street? I remember over 20 years ago now, a couple, a couple of couples Uh, realizing the lost condition of uh, the teenage, kind of the youth generation, their hearts being moved with compassion like Jesus and and them committing themselves to gather, uh, to gather just this small group in a living room, get on their knees and pray, God, would you help, would you save these people who are lost and wayward and without you? Pleading with God. And this is what Jesus calls us to do. This is what Jesus models for us as his co-laborers. I know uh, what a struggle it can be uh, to, to feel this kind of compassion, to be moved. It's, it's so easy to be concerned with our next meal, our next whatever it might be, uh, and just to miss the heart of God for the people uh, lost in front of us. And the only remedy is not that we would feel guilty this morning that we don't do that. The remedy is to remember what Jesus has done for us. To remember when you were lost and broken and dead in your sin and trespasses. To remember when you were far off and Jesus, the good shepherd, came and sought you. And he found you. And he carried you back on his shoulders into the fold of God. And he gave you peace with God and eternal life with God. This is the heart of Christ for us. And this is the heart of Christ uh, that needs to be in us for our neighbors and for the lost in the world. Well, this is the motivation for workers in the harvest. And finally, we see the, the field, right? When there's a harvest, there's, there's a field, Uh, that you have to reap that harvest in. And so what is Jesus talking about in in this uh, passage as he's calling the disciples to himself and he's saying, I want you to go out and labor in the field? I think we see a couple of things. Uh, The first thing we see is that the harvest field is both local and global, right? I've already alluded to that a little bit. Uh, Let's read Matthew 9, verses 37 to 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so again, Jesus is, he's talking broadly to his gathered disciples. And and this is setting up kind of the the next scene in Matthew's gospel. Uh, In chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gave us the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of what does life in the kingdom look like. And then in chapters 8 and 9, we see him doing miracles and wonders and works, displaying his power as the king that's come. And now he's he's giving us this summary statement, and he's setting up the next scene, which is going to be, okay, I've called you as my disciples to myself. Now I'm sending you out. I'm going to send you out in the same things you've seen me do, Uh, In teaching and in healing and in serving, I want you to go do. 
I want you to go labor as workers in the harvest field. And so there's both a a local and a global reality to this. In in the immediate context, uh, in the next section, chapter 10, Jesus is going to call his 12 disciples. And and he's going to commission them, and he specifically will tell them, don't go anywhere except to the the lost sheep of Israel. He's going to say, don't go to the Gentiles. And so there's this limited scope of mission uh, in the short term. But, but Matthew knows what he's doing, right? He's, he's, he knows he's writing chapter 9, chapter 10 here, and he knows chapter 28 is coming. And there's this trajectory in the book that he is showing this scene of calling the apostles, calling the disciples, commissioning them to Israel, but then that's going to expand to the ends of the earth, right? We know in Matthew 28, the Great Commission is Jesus, after he's been crucified, he's been buried, he's been resurrected, he gives his final commission on earth. He says, go into all the nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age." So there is this local reality in that all disciples are called to be on mission. All disciples are called to be those who make disciples, right? This is not just for a lead. It's not for the apostles. When Jesus is giving this uh, command to pray for workers in the harvest, all of his disciples are present. And, And every disciple is called to go and preach the gospel, to do good works, and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in our midst. Uh, I love this passage in Colossians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is uh, in prison. He's writing to the Colossian church, which he helped plant many years ago. He helped establish it. And he, he noticed two things in here. He asked for prayer for himself, but then he also charges them to live faithfully where they are. So he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open for us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And now he turns to them and gives them some instructions. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that's unbelievers. Making the best use of your time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you might know how to answer every person. And, and, you know, Paul knows that the the people at Colossae are uh, people that are going to live there. Uh, They're people that work there. They're fishermen. They're farmers. they're, They're blacksmiths, right? Their vocations, their homes, their communities are in Colossae. And he doesn't say, you all need to go and do what I'm doing. Right? He says, no, you need to stay there, and you need to make the most of every opportunity. You need to live a godly life in front of your neighbor and, and speak in such a way that you're getting into conversations about the gospel to share about the hope of Christ. Uh, you're to be a local ambassador in sharing the gospel in your local harvest field. And so I want to ask this morning, is that true of you? Does that define your life in the kingdom? Does that define you as as a follower and disciple of Jesus? Uh, Are you living in such a way, such intentionality that you're making the most of every opportunity? Uh, Whether it's in your workplace or your neighborhood or your community, uh, are you laboring to preach the gospel, to do good works, uh, to be about this a harvest that Jesus is bringing about in the world. The other thing we see, though, is, is that the harvest is not only local, but it's global, right? We, we saw that already in the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Uh, go make disciples of all nations. So, so it's not just here in our local communities. Yes, it starts there, but then it's meant to extend to the ends of the earth. And we see this even in this passage in in Colossians 4, 
right? There were some who most, in fact, who were meant to stay in Colossae and be faithful disciples, and that's good and pleasing to God. But then they were also meant to be his, Paul's prayer support as he went out to new areas to bring the gospel. In Romans 15, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach Christ where he has not been named. And so we see this reality of, of both the fact that there are, there are senders sending people to the global harvest field, and, and there are those who go, like the Apostle Paul. Uh, those, those who are sent for the sake of bringing the gospel to those who have yet to hear. If we unpack the Great Commission a little more, uh, Matthew 28, something we're really familiar with, uh, that idea of go to all nations, right, really has this idea of every people group, every ethne, every people group, uh, that is people who have a unique linguistic or cultural identity uh, that makes them kind of separate from different people groups in the world. And, and according to many estimates, there are still around 7,000 people groups that, that are considered unreached with the gospel. Uh, that is 7,000 groups that are 2% or less Christian. And so maybe there's a few believers spread throughout these people, but not nearly enough for them to have a sustainable uh, witness and presence. Often they're living in hiding and persecution. And let me just put that in perspective. That's 3.14 billion people uh, among unreached people group that are still without a clear gospel witness. That, that still many of whom have never even heard the name of Jesus. I've met many of these people asking them, have you heard of Jesus? No. Uh, have you ever read the Bible? I've never even seen one. I've never touched one. They haven't heard about the good news, that God's kingdom is here, that there's redemption for people far off who are lost and broken and dead in their sin. And the reality is, is that for those uh, who are sent out, right, so coming back to our passage, we're thinking about workers going into the harvest, that there's a need for more workers. Uh, those missionaries that are sent out, only 3% tend to go to these areas where it's less than 2% Christian. Uh, most go and labor in places where the church is established. And there, there's work there to be done, for sure. Uh, there's equipping, there's training, there's teaching, there's good ministry to be done. But there are still uh, 42% of the world's population without a clear gospel witness. And most of these people, many of you know, are, are probably familiar with the term the 1040 window uh, that just describes the, the longitude and area in the world. Uh, it, it's East Asia, Central Asia, Southeast Asia. And if we think about the, the harvest being plentiful, uh, what Jesus is saying, we look at this map and we see where are the workers needed? Uh, where are there fewer workers in reality in today's context? And, and you look at this map, it blows up the area where the unreached people are, uh, where the, the least access to the gospel resides in the world today. And you notice that this is the area that is, is blown up is, is in uh, Asia, South Asia, East Asia. And if we contrast that where most workers are sent today, uh, here's a map that highlights that. And you see the very place where the harvest is plentiful and the fewest workers are is in fact where the fewest workers are being received. Uh, it's kind of shrunken up there on the map and the rest of the places receive most workers. The harvest field is so plentiful. Uh, it's plentiful where we are in, the, in our own context but, but even more, where the gospel hasn't been named, Paul says, I make it my ambition to go there and preach because those who haven't heard will believe. Those who haven't heard the message will receive it. And this is what we have experienced as we've gone out, as you have sent us to the nations. Uh, we have seen that the harvest is plentiful, that, that the Lord is 
gathering in people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The, the good shepherd is seeking lost people, and he's bringing them in all over the world. This is the harvest field. It's local and global. And, and as we go out as workers, there are both those who are to send and those who are to go. And both of those are biblical. Both are good and right. Well, if this is the task of the harvest field, right, the task is to preach the gospel, to do good works. The motivation must be the heart of Christ, what he has done for us on the cross. He loved us unto death and gave himself for us. And the harvest field we've seen is plentiful and there's still plenty of need in the world. I want to close this morning with just a few points of application, trying to bring this uh, to bear on our everyday life. And the first is this, as we think about the task and the motivation in the field, we need to pray for your local field. Uh, You need to pray for the local field around you. What I mean, or another way to say that is just, you need to pray for your own discipling ministry, your own gospel witness here in this community and whatever community you live in. Uh, The harvest is plentiful. Jesus is calling lost sheep to himself. Uh, I told you that story earlier of of the few couples who gathered and they saw the need of uh, the youth, the lost youth, and they began crying out to the Lord on their knees. Oh God, bring a harvest. Would you save these people? Uh, those people were here a part of Cornerstone. The Gentoses, uh, the Argenbrights, others uh, who saw the young like me lost, uh, far off from the Lord, not, not really knowing where I'm going in life, just pursuing whatever desires I had. And, and they began to pray, God, would you do a great work? Would you save the youth? Would you uh, call lost kids to yourself. And the Lord heard that prayer. Uh, Alan mentioned earlier, we we saw the Lord bring revival, really is what happened. Uh, Our youth group went from maybe five in a room to over 50 in a basement. People from all over coming to hear this good news and many of them repenting, believing, and still walking with Christ today. The Lord heard those prayers. The Lord saved me The Lord called me, and you guys have sent us out to bring this good news to the nations. And so I just want to encourage you to be doing that today. It's a glorious story. I love coming back to recall that, to recount that, uh, what the Lord did in my life through this church. Uh, But God wants to do that same thing today. The Lord wants to reap a harvest here among the lost. The Lord wants to hear your prayers and your cries to him, and he will answer and work to bring in the harvest here in your own community. Pray for workers. Uh, Pray for yourselves in in this own community. Secondly, uh, I, I think from this passage we see that we need to be praying for global workers. Uh, When we think about the harvest being plentiful, where the workers are versus the need, we need to pray the Lord would raise up more harvesters. You need to pray for those that you've sent out. And and I just want to commend you as a church on this point. I just want to say thank you for sending us in such a way that we know that you're praying, that as we send updates and you respond, you say, we're, we're praying for this. As we share stories of what, how God is working in people's lives, we know you're praying. I think especially of the, the women's missionary uh, committee here and how you guys are so faithful to gather and pray regularly. The Lord is answering your prayers. He is bringing in a harvest in Southeast Asia in response to your prayers. And I know you've sent others as well in a worthy manner of the gospel. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. The harvest is plentiful. Uh, we, we've seen so many people hungry to study God's word. We've seen, as I mentioned, so many people that have never seen the word of God, never heard of it, 
getting access to it and having such a hunger to know the love of this good shepherd. And, and they've come to faith. Many of them from Iran uh, have come to faith. They've repented. They've been discipled in our church. And then they've had to go back to their country. And, and as they're back there now, they are telling others this good news. And all of that is a result of your prayers. All of that is a result of us simply preaching the gospel and doing good works. And so uh, I want to commend you in that, and I want to ask, would you continue to pray for that? There are more opportunities in our city uh, than we could ever possibly tap into. We literally have to tell people, I can't study the Bible with you right now, even though you want to, because I don't have time. There is a need for more workers. There is a need uh, for more laborers. And so would you pray that God would raise up workers not just workers from the West that will go, but workers from our country, uh, nationals there, people that uh, God will raise up. Uh, right now there's a young uh, Indian man who, who God is calling to be involved in church planting work, to go reach his own people in our city with the gospel. Uh, the, the age of missions today is people are being sent from everywhere to everywhere and so it's not just from the West to the rest. It's all of us as God's people in the world bringing the gospel. And so would you continue to pray uh, for God to raise up workers, for God to work mightily in bringing in the harvest where the fields are ripe. Uh, I want to encourage you to, as you pray for workers, uh, as you pray for more workers, just some practical ways to do that. Uh, one excellent resource many of you are familiar with is uh, this book called Operation World. Uh, has every country in the world statistics on the state of the gospel among these people groups. Excellent resource uh, to get a hold of this or use something like the Joshua Project or Open Doors Online to make that a part of your, your daily devotion or your, your family time of worship. Uh, our family has, for a number of years, had a practice at different times where we just have our stack of missionary cards, prayer cards, and, you know, we make our way through those and, and spend a short time praying for them. And these and other ways are excellent ways to, to obey what Jesus commands here, right? To pray the Lord workers for the harvest and to pray, those, pray for those who have been sent out. I want to close this morning uh, with, a, with a story about a man named James O. Frazier. Uh, James O. Frazier was a missionary in the early 20th century who uh, went to the Lisu people in southwest China. Very hard to reach people right at the, the base of the Himalayas there. He had to climb up through the mountains, sleeping on the mud hut floors, learning the language where you know, there's no language book or class. You're just out there learning it. Uh, he labored there for many years. He was, he was from England. He spent uh, the first six years there where he was sharing the gospel, and he saw a little bit of fruit. He saw a few people interested, and, and they started following and, and studying. But as they faced opposition from family, uh, they fell away. And he became very discouraged. At, at a low point, he began to think, how are we going to see the gospel reach the Lisu people here in southwest China? And here's what he said uh, in his journal. He said, I'm feeling more and more that it is, after all, just the prayers of God's people that call down blessing upon the work, whether they're directly engaged in it or not. Paul may plant, Apollos may water, but it is God who gives the increase. And this increase can be brought down from heaven by believing prayer, whether offered in China or in England. We are, as it were, God's agents, used by him to do his work, not ours. We do our part and then can only look to him with others for his blessing. If this is so, then Christians at home can do as much for foreign missions as those actually on the field. I believe it will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished in missionary work by the prayers of earnest believers at home. 
he, he came to this realization that if his ministry, if his work was going to be fruitful, it had to be based on God's people praying. And it didn't matter if they were in China and he was there planting. Uh, those back home could just as much be engaged in the work of seeing the gospel go to the lost. And so he, he writes uh, this letter back to his mother who, who has a small prayer gathering in her home. Just a handful of faithful believers gathering to pray for her son sent out doing mission work. And here's what he says. He says, I'm not asking you just to give help in prayer as a sort of sideline. But I am trying to roll the main responsibility of this prayer warfare onto you. I want you to take all the burden of these people on your shoulders. I want you to wrestle with God for them. And so as he began, began to realize that it's the Lord of the harvest, right? He's the one who is gathering people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He's the good shepherd. It's his harvest. And he's the one who sends workers. Then the greatest thing we can do as his people is to pray, to obey this command, to pray the Lord workers for the harvest. And God will hear those prayers uh, it's been said not over 90%, 90% of the work of missions is prayer. 10% is simply being there, sharing about Christ and him crucified. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Uh, the Lord is gathering his harvest. This is his work. One sows, one waters, uh, but it's the Lord of the harvest who gathers his people, and grows his church. This week, may we be those who pray the Lord earnestly for more workers of the harvest and be those workers who go, whether local or global, and preach the gospel and do good works with the compassionate heart of Christ. Let me pray. Our Father, we give you praise that you are the good shepherd, that you say, I will seek the lost, I will bind up the broken, I will carry back on my shoulders those who are far off from me. Jesus, we praise you that you're the good shepherd who lays down your life for the sheep, that you were crushed for our iniquities, that you were bruised for our sins. God, that the punishment that brought that was upon you has brought us peace. Jesus, we thank you that you are our Savior. And Lord, as we consider the harvest field of this world, as we think about how you are gathering people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, Lord, we pray for more laborers, more workers to be sent out. Lord, we pray that you would help us here in this city, in this, these communities that are around us, God, to be faithful to preach your word, to, to love our neighbor with good works, to make the most of every opportunity to be your ambassadors. Jesus, we worship you uh, that this is your harvest. Lord, we rest in the fact that you are building your church and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Lord, and we thank you that we have the great privilege to be co-laborers with you. Lord, would you help us to be faithful this week? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, Matt. We just want to transition now uh, into a time of remembering Jesus. And we have opportunity uh, every week um, to take the bread and to take the cup, and it's a reminder of what he has done for us. You know, Jesus didn't sit on his throne and, just command this to be done. He no, he came himself. He is our example. Uh, I love the just the opening line of this song that we're going to sing. Uh, that the light of the world. He was the light of the world, and yet he stepped down into our darkness. He he came into uh, this world that was full of sickness and hurt and pain and shame, and he came as that shepherd, as Matt said. So. Um, whether you're at home, whether you're here in the room, just invite you to take a moment to remember Jesus, uh, to confess your sins and your need 
uh, for him. And then uh, when you're ready sometime during this next song to take the, take the bread and to take the cup as a way of remembering uh, what he has done for us. Father, thank you for this just reminder of our compassionate shepherd, uh, the one who looks at us, sees us in all of our needs and our sin, and does not turn away. Father, may you just help to give us a heart for the nations. We thank you for Matt and Trista and their ministry, and uh, just for the simple reminder um, that you call us to pray. Father, forgive us for our, our lack of prayer, for our lack of concern, for those who still need you, who just are stranded without a lifeline, uh, without a, a messenger. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would send out the workers into the harvest. Uh, we just thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.